Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a founder that has done it so many times that I think you know you, you will get you will get dizzy with the amount of times that that he has done the full cycle with with companies, you know, build, scale, uh, exit it, you know, you name it. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, and I think that you guys are really going to enjoy speaking with him. So Robin Richards, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, the Dealmaker Show! I'm uh, I'm mesmerized by being in, in your presence here, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you. The Dealmaker himself. So, Robin, born and raised in Detroit. So, how was life in Detroit? Uh, life in Detroit was wonderful. I was raised in the late '50s and early '60s uh, as a young person there in a lower uh, middle class. Uh, Household, uh, union father, and uh, Detroit was okay. It was okay. You know, it's a simpler time, not like we have today, as you know. And I mean, it's amazing, you know, like the way that uh, that that you were raised and 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 brought up, and and how you had that entrepreneurial mentality early on. You literally had to build stuff and and think about stuff to really pay for for whatever you wanted. So how was that? Well, I I mean, you know. Every community has various demographics and various amounts of success. And so you can't help by looking around, right? You can either look around and say, I can't believe that guy has that nice car and that big house. What kind of a jerk is he? Or you could say, wow, she's something special. I wonder how she got where she is or he got where he is. And then invent your life and your destiny. And I chose to look up to success and believe in success and believe that why them and not me. And so what happened is at a very early age, I started asking kids in school that I knew had more than the rest of us. Hey, what does your father do for a living? What does, does your mother work? Did they go to college? Tell me about your family. And so I met a lot of friends and I learned a couple of things. Back in the day, I learned, at least in my area, that many of the people that had more had gone to college. 
many of the people that had more had their parents had been together for a very long time. Many of the people that had more, their fathers owned businesses. And this was back in the day where it was primarily fathers. Today, it's mothers and fathers owning businesses. But so I said to myself, okay, nobody in my family ever went to college. Nobody's ever done anything but work for somebody by the hour. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I get good enough grades to go to college. And I'm going to own my own business. And I am going to be very selective on who I uh, associate with. And uh, if I do all of those things, maybe one day I can have the kind of life that the person in that house has. And that's kind of how I came about it. Very cool. And then obviously you were the first one in the family to go to college and then decide to move to California. Why, why did you want to go to California? Well, I was an athlete as a kid. And one of the ways I got to know all of the various demographics at the school was I was born into one, and by being a good athlete, everybody was fairly welcoming of you. And so what happened was I got friendly with some of the kids that parents did very well. And as I got older and older and, joined, and got into high school, it started becoming clear to me that I could understand their businesses. And then I went off to college, and about my second year of college, a number of the young men and women that I knew, parents pulled me aside when they'd come up and they'd say, you know, when you're out of college, you can come work for us. When you're out of college, you can come work for us. I kept hearing that. And I went home one day and I said, that means I'm going to work for my friends because that's the natural evolution of a family business. I said, I can't do that. I don't want to be the person that doesn't achieve the maximum. So I said, if I start anew, maybe I can invent my own life. And so I moved to California and I said, this is ground zero for my life. And I will do what I have to do to build a business. I've now graduated from college. I need to find a special partner and uh, I need to conduct my life this way. And so uh, that, that's what I did. Uh, you know, my, my first business actually was, was uh, uh, a telemarketing business when telemarketing was not a thing back in 1986. And also started in a, in a broom closet. Yeah, we started at 6565 Sunset Boulevard, a wonderful landlord, uh, Stanley Fold. I came to him. I said, Mr. Fold, please. I can't afford an office. Could you rent me a closet? He goes, kid, I can't rent you a closet. <laughs> of course you can. I said, please. So he says, you know what? Why do you want a closet? I said, I'll take the whole floor in three years. He laughed and he said, God bless you, kid. I'll rent you a closet. I said, no, I'd like, I really would like a contract and an option on the whole floor. He goes, you're serious, aren't you? In two years, we had the whole floor. And in five years, we had three floors. Wow. And obviously, and, you uh, took it to, to 3,000 people. I mean, it's, it's amazing, the, the ride. What a wild it ride. Was, it, was, it was, you know, supply and demand. People, it made a lot of sense. Salespeople were spending too much time creating appointments. 
by taking that off of their plate and doing the appointments for them and using that we were the first people on TCs and databases. We were able to make salespeople much more productive. And today they call it an SDR, sales development rep. And it's the primary thing people come and do when they get out of college is, is set appointments for the sales forces and create leads. Uh, and so uh, we just did that real early and it was a lot of fun. And I learned uh, through a lot of uh, mistakes how to manage and, and, and learn the best lesson of all, get the smartest people you possibly can and get out of their way and just give them the strategy and follow up with them lead. I love it. And I think that that's something, Robin, that I'd like to do because obviously your background and what you've done is so remarkable that I think we would need not just one episode, but probably like 10 to really cover it and, and get all the juice from that. But I think that what I like to do is uh, uh, perhaps touch, you know, just like we're doing now, you know, like what you did with Lexi International. And I really liked, you know, the lesson that, that you were able to share, you know, on how to really not get in the way and, and hire smart, smarter people than you. But perhaps really touch on the other six companies that you've built as well. Uh, you know, give an overview and what you guys were doing and how you got started. Uh, but then also, what was that one? Listen, I know that the next one, you were not part of the uh, founding team. But then also, I mean, you you were part of, of, of really, you know, getting the company to the to the finish line. And that was Tickets.com. So how did you land on Tickets.com? Uh, Tickets.com, the first, the first big VC firm for the internet was uh, Idea Lab here. Bill Gross was its uh, genius owner, and we haven't heard the end of Bill Gross. He's doing some amazing things. And he said to me, hey, Robin, why don't you, uh, uh, why don't you take a look at this list of companies and decide if there's one of them you'd like to go work for? And it's just a list, plumbers.com, tickets.com, this.com. I said, you know, I understand tickets, Bill. Maybe I could go work there. And he said, man, that is just a great management team we have there. They're only losing X amount a month. Uh, why don't you go in and see what you can do, and I'll give you X percent of the company. And I said, great. So I went in. We rearranged from a ticketing company to an event and venue database company. They had some phenomenal, phenomenal executives there. And uh, we convinced them to move to an event and venue database company. It started really blowing up fast. And uh, we uh, very quickly uh, got uh, Advantix to uh, buy the company. And uh, it was a short but successful exit. And the thing I learned there is that the speed of pivot is the difference when things aren't working in winning and losing when you're a little company. You have to have the decisiveness to pivot when the pivot is called for and not stand in there forever doing the same thing, beating your head against the wall that may be working moderate. And uh, so I became a big fan of pivots from Tickets.com. Very cool. And obviously this was... Um a transaction that was right around the same size as Lexi International. So, I mean, yeah, right about that. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't a disposable one, but right about there. Yeah, some 30, 30 something million. Uh, and I guess uh, your next company, mp3.com, I mean, this was quite a ride. So, tell us about mp3.com. Yeah, mp3.com was, uh, you know, it was world changing. Uh, a young man, uh, uh, close, you know, towards the end of my time at tickets.com towards the very end of my time at tickets.com a young man uh, uh walked into my office he was brilliant 
he was quirky. Uh, and he said, I want to show you something. Uh, and I said, what is it? He goes, what if I could show you sound and play a CD on your computer? And I said, there's no sound on a computer. He goes, they're all wired for sound. And lickety split, the guy pulls out a CD. And next thing I know, he's wiring up the back of a computer with some speakers. And the next thing I know, I see all the songs uh, in text on the screen. And he says, pick one and play one. And I, and I clicked on it, and it started playing. And I felt like I saw fire in a bottle. And wow. I, said to the, I said to the young man, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have any money? And he says, no. And I said, and do you have any income? And he says, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I think I sold something, but I, I don't have a bank account or anything. And I said, okay, what would you like from me? And he said, well, I would like you to be the CEO. Or I'd like you to be the president. I mean, I'm sorry. I'd like you to be the president. And I said, uh, uh what do you know about being a CEO? He goes, I know that I've invented something that's very, very, very important. And I know you're going to see it. And I said, you're right. I see it. I'll be your president. We negotiated a good deal. I said, I got to bring a team. I brought my uh, uh, a lot of my team from Tickets.com. We went down to uh, San Diego where we could find engineers because there were a lot of medical people down there. We opened it up six months later. Uh, Sequoia, uh, about 16 days later, Sequoia gave us 20 million bucks. And from there, six months later, uh, we went public in what was the largest uh, IPO of a technology company at the time in history. Wow. And, and uh as you know, content owners were very unhappy with the digital arrival, right? Uh, and so it was a very contentious thing, MP3 and the music companies. And uh, uh, when a worldwide group that's that big and that strong is coming after you, it's a very, very hard thing to stay the course. We stayed the course. We never lost any people. It was an amazing and difficult ride. We ultimately ended up fighting the dragon and selling the company for $373 million. Everybody in the company did a great job, and many of these people went on to be uh, very successful entrepreneurs in their own right. It was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had. That's amazing. So what was the one lesson that you took away from this, uh, from this experience with mp3.com? That you can will your way through the rapids. If you have enough will and you never give up and you're realistic and authentic with your own self, the system is set up for perseverance to be victorious. Wow. That's very profound. Very profound, Robin. And obviously, this led you to NTI. So what were you doing at NTI? This was well, your next company. technology company was probably my most favorite company because it was the first company I ever had that we started it. The market adopted it. It rose, 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 and then it was sold. And it didn't have a real lot of difficult problems. Now, 
granted you, I came from difficult problems, right? And the company be two companies before. Uh, but this one, they were operational and executional in nature. And so the problem seemed smaller to us. The market was very, very receptive. And what happened was, is that Columbine uh, and the hurricanes in Florida really set our opportunity into motion. And everybody realized they needed a mass notification, time-sensitive system to communicate with their constituents. So we decided not to use this for corporations, but we decided to use it for K through 12 universities and municipalities only because we knew it would be used properly there. And ultimately, like now, you can see it in corporations using it as you get bothered every second. But in the beginning, we, and throughout the company, we never went to corporations. We only used it for the public good. And what I learned there was, uh, and it was a phenomenal company. We exited in four years. Some of the smartest people I've ever worked with uh, uh, were part of that company. But that company taught me something that was extraordinarily valuable. And that is that when opportunity knocks, you have to lean into it and come out of your comfort zone to scale. You can't just keep trying to do, when this opportunity visits you, the same things at just adding people. You have to change your view and say, how can I mass scale? What can I do to scale where I feel out of control enough, but in control enough, to take advantage of this and take a company from 50 employees to 200 employees overnight. Wow. And that takes a belief that, and it takes a, a group of men and women that, that have an ethical background and a, a work ethic to go along with that that says, you know what? Let's go as fast as we possibly can, opening up everything we can and we will circle back around to figure out how to smooth out the wrinkles that we obviously are going to create and going too fast. But it'll be the only way that we can mass scale quickly. And we saw that with Facebook in a different way and Twitter. And these guys have all learned to grow in an uncomfortable way and then come back around and massage it into perfection. And that's the thing that people, when they get this kind of opportunity, they got to get out of their comfort zone and grow at levels they didn't believe they could. That's amazing. And obviously, the outcome was fantastic. You sold fantastic. it for 270 million, correct? No, 201 million on NTI. Okay, very, very nice. And then the fifth company, internships.com. So tell us about this one. Internships.com uh, came about after I sold NTI to Blackboard. And uh, Blackboard, another phenomenal company, and Michael yep. Chase, their CEO, saw that. And I came home, and my daughters kind of said to me, hey, hey uh, Mr. Richards, uh, my, uh, my daughter's friends, Mr. Richards, can, can we get an internship with you again this year? And I said, you know, I'm kind of unemployed right now, looking for something new to do. Sorry. 
<laughs> and they said, I said, why don't you go on to internships.com? And they said, there's no such thing, Mr. Richards. Well, I identified the human being that owned internships.com within 48 hours. <laughs> we started negotiating and we paid an awful lot of money for it. $800,000 to be exact. Wow. And I felt that the URL was so self-explanatory and the search mechanism that everybody would go, I need an internship, and we would show up very cheaply and very quickly at the top of the search charts, that it was a must-have. Mm. And we have a wonderful, wonderful private equity firm that's been backing me for years that also backed that. And uh, we got started on internships.com, and very quickly we realized that the end internet allowed us to bypass career centers because if I had to go to, you know, 4,000, 5,000 colleges, it would take me forever to get to scale. So we decided that we would go to consumers using the internet at the college level and then circle back around with the career centers later, as opposed to make the career centers the pacing factor. And before you knew it, we had over 5 million, close to 6 million students coming to internships.com to get advice and to find internships. Wow, that's uh, remarkable. And what ended up happening with internships.com? Uh, internships.com got sold to, again, another fantastic company. Uh, when we sold it to them, they were about $400 million of enterprise value. Now they're probably $4 billion called Chegg. Yeah. And uh public company with uh Dan Rosenzweig, a phenomenal CEO, maybe one of the best in Silicon Valley, actually. And we sold we sold that company. That's not a disclosed sale under contract, so I can't tell you how much, but we're very I'm sure he's very happy and we're very happy with the outcome. Amazing. So what was your big lesson from that? Internships.com was a reverse lesson for me. It was that good ideas with high demand don't always have a pay source. Okay. Everybody wanted an internship. Every company wanted interns. But there wasn't a good pay source. Nobody considered that a valuable enough entity, if you will, meaning the intern that they would pay us enough to aggregate the marketplace to be a billion-dollar company. So it had to be an add-on to another company. And what I learned is you can have a great idea, but if there's no readily available pay source, revenue source for it, it doesn't matter how much the supply and demand are in sync. You need that third leg, which is somebody willing to pay a price that you can have a decent margin of. And that was what internships is and has been ever since. Nobody wants to own the farm team of American workers. Everybody wants to own the farm team in, a, in Major League Baseball, but nobody wants to own the farm team of American workers. And that's what an internships marketplace is. And Chegg and Dan Rails and Swag saw that. He's a sports fan. And he, he recognized that if he could own the marketplace, if you will, 
or the farm club for American workers, he would have something that would be very valuable to his check platform, and he, and he bought it. Got it. So, so, so really amazing, amazing lesson, Robin. So what was the sixth company? The next one. Well, yeah, the next one is, it was Career Arc, and, and, and these kind of blended together because we still had some software from internships.com that would, and, and we were the first to uh, do uh, uh, social recruiting. We used the social network to find students. That's how we got so big so fast. So we said, wow, if that works with students, why wouldn't it work with the general market? Can we take this technology and reinvent ourselves into a new company, which we did with Career Arc, right? And uh, uh, Career Arc became a general market company that recruited on a SaaS basis. We changed the business model from a per-person purchase, if you will, or a per-person, uh, how many jobs do I want to uh, advertise? to going with a platform to corporations and saying, hey, we're going to give you an entire platform to help your recruiting process. And this platform is going to be social first, but it's going to give you a lot of other, and since it's SaaS, it's constantly going to be updated. And uh, we now have over a thousand companies uh, that buy SaaS uh, uh, recruiting of our uh, social recruiting platform. Uh, recruit, we call it recruitment marketing platform now. And, uh, you know, it's a thousand of the largest companies in America. It's a company we're very proud of. Of course, we've been hit pretty hard. Nobody's hiring right now. Uh, but we'll be all right, and we'll come out the other end. Uh, we have good financial management. Again, back to making sure you have the right people in the key positions that know how to do the hard things to keep you successful. And uh, Career Arc has done that. So although the pandemic has uh, taken a big hit to our business, uh, we'll come out the other side okay. And Career Arc is a wonderful company. And then we added on to that the other side, which was uh, uh, a really interesting outplacement company because it was my belief that outplacement was – really not democratized, and it was only for the fancy people, and that with social media, everybody had a very large voice. And why are we only taking care of managers and above? Why aren't we taking care of 100% of the Americans that need this help, not only the fancy people that need this help? So it turned out to be very simple. The market had too high a cost to take a $40,000, person and give them outplacement services, career counseling, career transition services. So we said, what if we put it online, did virtual coaching seven days a week on demand and changed the whole model so that we could democratize it and there is no reason for any company in the world not to give a transitioning an employee, a severance that included transition services, career transition services on our platform. And that company is going gangbusters. And you can well imagine right now uh, with the pandemic, it's actually even doing better. A hundred percent. What's the name of this one? This is uh, uh, Career Transition Services. It's under the Career Arc brand. Got it. And and for this one, for for this uh, 
well, I mean, for career arc, you know, which obviously, you know, like must must own this one too. I mean, you guys have raised thirty million dollars, correct? Well, we raised thirty million dollars on our second. We raised twenty million dollars uh, a number of years ago to get started. Got it. Okay, understood. And Robin, with this one, what has been? I mean, with this two that comes in in one, I would say two for one. What has been your lesson so far? I think, I think the lesson here, and we and we pivoted, so we learned from the lesson. The lesson here is the market is always right, and as a result, if you want a business model and outplacement that says it's going to be SaaS, all you can eat because it makes all the sense in the world, but the market and the buyers don't know how to navigate internally in their company to buy how you're selling, even if it's a better value. So you have to understand procurement as part of your business model. And we never really took procurement into consideration when building our business models and our revenue models. And what this taught me was procurement's a very important thing to understand not what companies want, but how companies buy. And if you can understand how they buy, and at the same time trying to give them what they want, it'll be a lot smoother than only giving them what they want without concern for how they buy. Mm, very interesting. And, and obviously, I mean, we've talked about, you know, a lot of lessons here, and, and I'd like to, to narrow it down even more. Uh, and this is going to come with this question that I typically ask the folks that come on the show. And that is, uh, Robin, if you had the opportunity, I mean, unbelievable, all these different experiences, companies, you know, that you've started and exited. If you had the opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, perhaps that younger Robin that just had moved to, to California and was looking, you know, at maybe starting something. If you had the opportunity to go now in time and back in time and, and speak with that younger Robin and, and give that younger Robin one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, knowing what you know now? I think the piece of advice that I would give myself today is I looked long and hard for the smartest, most experienced, best cultural fit executives I could find so that I had smarter people around me. What I didn't take that down to was far enough into the organization until I, had, I was later in my career. The lowest person on your org chart should be the smartest person you can find at that price for that job. And I think a lot of times people don't realize the value of every piece part of an organization and that you should apply the same thinking to hiring managers and executives that you apply to the rank and file. Wow. That's very, very profound. Robin, so uh, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, Robin, R-O-B-I-N, D, as in Dean Richards at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, Robin, it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the DealMaker Show today. 
Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. And uh, I've been listening to you for a while. And keep up the great work. And I'm honored you had me on. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.